0: How you doing? This is Dusty Roads and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with all the ladies in tech from around Ireland and, of course, around the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, and you can grab them for free at TechCentral.ie. Now, there's been a lot of discussion this week about Google engineer James Damore who posted a document saying that there are are differences between men and women based on their gender and that by Google trying to create a workforce with greater numbers of women than these differences can sustain, it's actually hurting the company. The document eventually made itself public and in the furore that followed James Damore got fired. Today what we want to do is to kind of just look behind the the headline and the first paragraph to to find out actually more about what James is trying to say and some reaction to his thoughts. Our editor Niall Kitson has been looking into the story so I suppose I'll just start off now by asking what was James trying to say? Okay this is such an interesting
1: story to tease apart because there are so many facets to it and you know, coming to it from our perspective as two men working in the media, the media is actually quite evenly distributed. I feel between men and women. Now, men men and women do kind of different jobs within, but everything sort of coalesces as a as a whole. I think I think you'd agree with that as a as a starting point for
0: us. I would say from our point of view, possibly, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's globally true. Yeah, but we're we're used to a, a reasonably
1: egalitarian spread of men and women so it's sort of difficult for us to get a handle on an industry which is dominated by men to the extent that something like three quarters of google's workforce is male and i think it's 90 percent white as well like they have a tremendous problem with uh, getting more women in getting more people of color in Work for the company. So that's their their jumping off point, and as a result, Google has an awful lot of efforts um, as part of its diversity strategy to get more people from differing backgrounds into work from the company. Now, this is a problem that's been understood to be across the tech industry and uh, across technology in general, and for me, there are a couple of reasons for it, but we, we can get into those in a few minutes. So uh, apparently, at one of these diversity meetings, uh, James Damore circulated um, a ten-page manifesto uh, explaining that yes, there are diver, there is you know a problem with diversity in Google, um, that Google actually does have a latent uh, left-leaning uh, bias, which means that it, it is not apolitical, and that a lot of conservatives actually feel that they're they're closeted. Um, because of their politics. But he also makes the argument that there aren't as many women working in Google because, A, the work doesn't really appeal to them, um, you know, in terms of coding, that sort of thing. But he ascribes this to biological differences between men and women.
0: Uh, is he putting it down to purely biological differences or is he saying that the biological differences are just part of the mix?
1: No, he ascribes, uh, he says it's it's down to biology and women's biology means that they manifest their personalities in certain directions uh, and this the same is true for men. Now, there have been articles out there Picking apart the, the science or, or lack thereof behind Demore's claims and uh, Wired did a pretty good one. I'll post a link in the, in the show notes. Similarly, there was a very interesting um, article in Forbes about how Google dealt with the problem because uh, initially this was uh, a manifesto that was circulated at a diversity meeting. It kind of disappeared. It was kind of ignored. Um, Then it was circulated internally, and as things are wont to do when they happen in Google, um, it went viral across the web. Google's initial uh, response was to have another sort of meeting and get everybody in. But then um, people who were working for Google were getting doxxed. They were getting their personal details posted online, um, apparently by people uh, with right-wing views, uh, which doesn't help advance the debate at all, regardless of the, the, um, the bad science behind the argument. To have people put into this um, situation is, is completely unacceptable, counterproductive, and it doesn't advance either side of the argument. So Google uh, decided that, okay, um, three and a half odd days, I think, after this thing went viral, uh, was was let go from the company. And there was a further controversy because of that. They were saying, "Okay, does um, does this constitute uh, a breach of freedom of speech?" And apparently, it does not uh, under American law. Your freedom of speech only goes far as it does not impede other people. Right? So, for example, screaming fire in a crowded cinema does not constitute freedom of speech because what you've said has put other people directly in harm's way so similarly uh, Google was able to say okay these views aren't representative of us as as a company Um, discourse is fine debate is fine this doesn't represent discourse or debate this is the opinions of one person and these opinions actually are at odds with our diversity policy um, therefore, he is in breach of uh,
0: his his terms, and we are uh, we can we can fire him. So that's so that's kind of how they got rid of him and and, and fixed that particular problem. Maybe that that's how they looked at it. Uh, but he James Demore was basing his comments on science. So what science and and what other uh, papers was he basing his opinion on?
1: Yeah, well, this this is one of the major critiques of his argument that. The the science really doesn't doesn't hold up. Now, what does um, ring true for me as someone that has been covering diversity off and on for a couple of years now through the show and in print, and just going to events and seeing, gauging the temperature of the tech sector. um, Everyone knows diversity is an issue. Everyone knows it is. The question is how to address it in a way that is uh, organic, in a way that lets people still be recognized on their own merits and still provides a fair route for people into the industry. Now, one of the really interesting interviews we carried on the show was earlier this year when I interviewed uh, Mary Carty from from Launchbox, uh, who was responsible for the Eat, Sleep, Stem, Repeat documentary, Mm. And uh, in our discussions, and she said that, look, one of the major things that makes girls shy away from STEM subjects and careers in STEM has nothing to do with biology or or anything like that. It's the fact that they're socialized, um, which is to say there's peer pressure, their parents sort of try to steer them in a, a certain direction when it comes to their careers Um, that roughly up to the end of primary school there's no difference between girls and boys when it comes to what they're interested in it's once you get into adolescence that the gender differences start to become apparent and the thinking is that this is more down to you know
0: external social influences external
1: social influences exactly yeah
0: Okay, because there was one study that I I read, and it was very interesting. It said that, uh, and this is something that the Irish government has been pushing for a long time uh, with mathematics, Uh, Mm -hmm. and they've been pushing Irish students of of, of both sexes to uh, do more higher level mathematics, and lots more of them did it this year. I think that there was a 10% increase in that. However, this study said that back in 1980, when times were different, uh, girls generally didn't tend to do maths based subjects for whatever reason whatever it was at the time right mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there was a study done and it showed that well girls aren't as good as maths uh, as boys and then the same study was done again in 2008 when times had changed and there were a lot more women who were sitting down and doing maths and the difference went to zero the girls were every bit as good as the boys when they sat down and studied it
1: yeah, well, I tell you, when I was doing my leaving search, uh, one of the things that was drummed into us by uh, at least one teacher was that the girls have you licked academically.
0: All of you guys, the girls always outperform boys Do you know academically. What? I I heard the same thing when I was uh, uh, doing my leaving search as well. It's yeah, Funny that, isn't it? Isn't it funny? But listen, back to uh, uh, this guy in Google, James uh, Damore. Was he saying that women are not as good as men or was he saying... That they are as good as men, but it's this social conditioning is 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 the reason.
1: No, and, and not as good isn't. Um, it's, it's not an accurate depiction. That's action.
0: he is saying. <laughs> You're very right. There. Thank you. Mea culpa. I stand corrected. All right, uh, but yes, but what I mean is 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 he saying in his in his document that women are not the same as men, or men are not the same as women? Yeah, effectively, yeah, that's his argument, and that men are
1: more naturally drawn. To um, sort of task based uh, jobs. So, so, like coding, for example, Mm -hmm. whereas women are, they've got better empathy skills, they're more attracted to to jobs to do with people, and in the technology sphere, they're more, um, the more attracted to things like UX
0: and design. Whereas another school of thought would say, well, that's actually down to the social experiences and it's nothing to do with your sex, or maybe if it is something to do with sex, it's a small, small, small proportion of it. You also have to take in uh, your education. Your background, uh, your class, your parents, uh, your friends, uh, you have to take into account the choices that you have made in life, what has attracted you, what hasn't attracted you. All of these things is what makes us all uniquely individual. Yeah, and that, that goes across absolutely every sector.
1: You know, uh, I mean, we're on the, the we're front facing, I guess, because we, we host and co-host a, a podcast. Um but I know for a fact that an awful lot of the producers uh, in radio uh,
0: are women. I think I think it's fair to say that, yeah. Uh, in my experience, yes, that's true and a lot a lot of the presenters are men.
1: Yeah, uh, unless you get to something like uh, Morning Ireland where you know it's, it seems to be a, a very um, a kind of a
0: 50-50 arrangement. The, and in my head I I don't know why that is. <laughs> I don't see yeah. any reason why it, should be, it shouldn't be. should uh, uh, be the other way around. How and ever, how and ever, let's stick with uh, James Damore, okay? So he is saying that there is a difference and uh, that sex plays a major part in the differences between men and women. What has been the, the reaction? Because one of the uh, high-level female employees of Google has been reacting to this story. Yeah, um, Google have actually been pretty open about this. I mean,
1: they've... Now, for all the problems they've had in trying to convene meetings to get people to sit down and discuss this issue, this issue largely because of the, the doxing, um, I, th- I think they've actually handled this reasonably well. I mean, they looked after their corporate interests in letting D'Amour go. Um, he was with them for three and a half years, you know, so he, he wasn't a guy that was in the door um, and deciding to to make trouble, like he he was trying to make a point, he just made it very clumsily and not with much much in the way of facts actually back it up. I mean, if he was to say, "I'm a conservative and I fear conservative voices are being smothered at Google." Yeah, fine. One one argument. I know there are senior managers in Google who, who would say, "Yeah, I'm a I'm a conservative," and yeah, sometimes, yeah, fine. Maybe this is maybe this is something we need to acknowledge uh, internally. But you know, Google as itself is a an apolitical organization, if you will, um, largely because the whole point of Google is that it's it's a dispassionate product. You know, it organizes the information on the internet, um, hopefully without bias. Uh, of course, we know that 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 always. Uh, isn't the case thanks to the people who use Google and uh, will muck around with SEO for nefarious purposes but you know that's that's something Google has to deal with on a a a daily Mm -hmm. basis come on a minute-to-minute basis really in in the current political climate so it's not that you know the differing opinions exist within Google it's the fact that Google doesn't seem to have the toolbox to manage the debate so but, I think that's something Google is going to work on.
0: One of the things that Google did was uh, they did uh, the one of their female employees got permission from Google to be able to speak publicly about her feelings and her reaction mm. to this story. What was her reaction?
1: Yeah, it was it was very much, you know, I've, I've got good access to senior management. And um, I've you know, we do have female executives in the company um you know she she was anonymous but she went through channels to to actually speak um so i forget which publication she was talking to actually um was it was it the um wasn't the wall street journal it was anyway it was one of the the, one of the big ones anyway um let me just see if it's here in my notes uh no it's not so no worries but
0: from what you remember what was it she said
1: yeah, um, she basically came out and, uh, and I don't want to say defended, but she, you know, admitted that. yeah th- this is a discussion that is is happening within Google and is going to happen, have to happen more. But um, management are incredibly supportive of its staff. That you know, yes, the, the the debate is being had now, probably in a more open way than before, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's. I don't want to say it was quite a, a, a mea culpa on Google's part, but it was just a sort of a, we promise to do better. Um, and we are all in agreement that doing better is something that, that we hold. Did she
0: personally feel like yeah, this document was an attack? Um, to a certain extent, yeah,
1: because um, if you write it, it's something about, we'll, we'll say men, we'll say white men, the least put upon demographic in the world, um you know, to say that, or or you're you're a tall chap, Dusty. Uh, let's go to something like, tall men, they're just not as good as at typing. They're just, they're not built for it. They're not, you know, they don't have the, the manual dexterity for it. Of course, you're going to go, that is ridiculous. I'm a touch typist. I, you know, I can knock out 80 words a minute. You know, that is absolute bunk. You know, to argue against someone, against the suitability of someone for their job, on the basis of something they have no control over um, is, is ridiculous. You know, I mean, I uh, we can pick out, you know, I'm quite short, we can say that, you know, tall, tall people should not be, uh, well, I'm not going to say firemen because that was it. That was a thing for a while. <laughs> I'm not going to say guards because that was a thing for a while. Um, but we'll say, you know, you, you can't paint houses because, you know, you can't reach, you know. It's nonsense. If you want to do something You should be given the opportunity to do it.
0: Well, I I think we both sing off the uh, same um, sheet there because, I mean, I'm a a real believer that we are all individual human beings and many, many, many factors contribute to who we are and our personalities and our skill set. And when it comes to jobs, there's two things, I believe, that uh, the best person for the job should be hired and pay them whatever the rate for that job is. Which is a whole other issue. It's a whole other issue. <laughs> Which we won't go into today. Anyway, listen, thanks for keeping us up to date on that night. <laughs> This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. So this week, 60,000 odd young Irish people are moving on to another key stage of their life as they picked up their Leaving Cert results on Wednesday. What are the opportunities for them at the moment? Where are they going to go next? One man who's been watching kids leaving school and getting into the area of tech and science is Tony Scott, who is the co-founder of the Young Scientist Exhibition. Niall went to meet him and have a chat earlier this week.
1: It's that time of year again when students up and down the country receive their Leaving Cert results. And to talk a little bit about the trends this year, particularly in the STEM subjects, I'm joined by Tony Scott, who is the co-founder of the BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition. Um, First of all, thank you, Tony, for joining us on the show. You're very welcome. I've always been of the idea that it's one thing to get people in the door to actually study a particular subject, but it's another to ensure that you have the right people going and studying in the first place. That they have the interest, that they have the passion for a subject. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I put it. You know, uh, some years ago, I, I met somebody and and uh, I was, I, I was with some friends, and they were mentioning that they're um they they'd got I think six hundred points or equivalent to six hundred points, and. uh They didn't want to do medicine, and these people said that's a waste of points. Now the idea that you, if you get 600, you must do medicine—that kind of puzzled me because, really, I I did what I I did because I was kind of interested in it. And one does well in a subject if you are particularly interested in it and if it involves you in understanding it and setting targets for you to achieve. So the fact that you get 600 points means you must do X or you must do Y. I think it, we're approaching that the wrong way. I think we've got to encourage people to go down certain routes. I mean, we, we, we do want people to be doctors, indeed. I, I taught medical students for many years, so we do need them. I like them. We need vets. We need dentists. We need all of right across the board. But in the particular situation we're in now in the development of this country, uh, we do need people who are spending a little bit more or spending a little more time doing the, what we call the STEM subjects because the technologies, the industries are going to need these people with these extra attributes being able to uh, do the mathematics to do the physics, the chemistry and biology which are necessary for jobs in this particular area. So I, I don't think we should just say the fact that you got 600, you must do medicine. I think that's, that's a, a misconception.
1: One of the interesting ways in which secondary school teaching is changing is this move in part to what's called 21st century learning, which puts a a greater uh, emphasis on teamwork and projects and continuous assessment over specific three-hour or or what-have-you exams. Um, However, there is this argument that what what this approach does is it creates students with a very specific skill set aimed at a specific sector, usually the tech sector. How would you respond to that? It?
2: Well, I, it, it's very difficult. I mean, I have to come back to my, my previous premise. I, I think what we need are people who are interested in a particular area and should follow that particular area. I mean, obviously, we do need people in, right across the... We need people doing languages, because if, as a trading nation, we want to... What is it? You sell in, in the country... Of the, uh, where you're trying to sell. So you have to have people who understand, who can speak Chinese or speak French or German or, or Japanese. So we do need people with those traits as well, the education in those areas, because trading is part of what we need to do. So it's not just we must do STEM subjects. Yes, we need STEM subjects, but we need people who are able to um, develop themselves in other areas involving. For example, economics, because we need it in in trading, but also in languages.
1: I think that's a really interesting point that you've raised there. Do you think there's an argument for people coming in and maybe universities providing what you might call a broad curriculum where there would be some element of overlap between, say, the science and the arts?
2: I mean, one of the things we the universities went through in, in back back ten or fifteen years ago, were where people entered for a specific course, like you went in, it didn't exist. So I can say it, like physics with German, uh, you know, and that and that pigeonholes you into a particular thing, and really people should. They're, they're moving back now towards what they call the general entry form. In other words, you come in to do science or you come in to do engineering. And then in the university, when you're doing, say, science or doing engineering, when you're in engineering, you might find that your, your interest is in mechanical engineering or electronic engineering. Or in the case of science, you might find yourself more interested in doing uh, pharmacology than physics or something. And you discover that when the whole gambit of areas of the science, which can't, of necessity being available at school level are are opened up to you within the university sector.
1: So just to echo your point there, I think one thing that we're seeing with very specialised courses, particularly uh, game design, that might have a very low point score, in some cases they're in around 300, but it gives this false impression of the actual difficulty of the course. So if you go in and you find that a certain part of the course doesn't jive with you, you're pretty much done with that area.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. I mean, th- th- this is the point that uh, people seem, seem to think is that the, the fact that we say arts has, well, I don't know, say three hundred and fifty points. Uh, therefore, it's an easy, it's an easy subject to do. That that doesn't follow. It's 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 an academic subject. You know, and basically, when you uh, somebody put it to me many years ago that when you graduate from a university, what you are really is you, you are a trained mind. And it's only by applying what you learn within the university or in the the, uh, the the higher higher education sector, and you begin to apply that, you become what it is. I, I remember myself, oh, x years ago, the last millennium, I can quite cheerfully say, I, when I graduated in physics, I wanted to become a member of the Institute of Physics, which is the professional body for physicists, and I applied. And they said, yes, well, of course, you, you can we let you in as an associate, but you can only become a full member when you have actually worked within the industry for, I can't remember, was it five or six or seven years? So in other words, the point I'm making is you, you, you become a trained mind, but you develop yourself into what you want to be, is by using the knowledge you gain within the university and applying it in the industry that you're interested in doing
1: one thing that people get hung up on particularly in the context of the points race is you know what do i do if i don't get the points that i want to do a specific course what advice do you have for people stuck in that situation
2: well the first thing i say is don't panic sit back and say uh well you know really do i really want to be a veterinary student or a vet or do i really want to be an engineer or whatever Sit back and say, is there any other mechanism? If I suppose I missed the points by so, you know, I didn't get the points this year to get in. Sit back and I always great great believer in taking out a, a plain piece of paper and then dividing the, a line down the middle of it. On one side saying, look, if I do this action, this is the result. If I do that action, this is the result. In other words, if I decide to repeat the exam, what does this mean? It means I'll be a year later starting the employment and so on. If I decide instead of I'm going to do engineering, I'll do science or I'll do something else, what does that mean for me? So I'm a great believer of people sitting back and don't just today or next Monday when the, the offers come in saying, no, my world has come to a grinding halt. It hasn't. It hasn't. The, the world is out there for all of you. And, you know, some peop- some people... Develop in the earliest that they didn't think they would be interested in the first place.
1: Of course, at this stage you're synonymous with the Young Scientists Exhibition. I mean, of course you you were there at the beginning and you've seen the progress of the sciences um, in our society. How important do you think events like the Young Scientists are to get young people interested and involved in science?
2: Well, obviously, yes. I mean, the the reason why the late father Tom Burke and myself started it it's, it's was because we, and and this is going back now, what, 53, 54 years ago, you probably weren't even even born, (laughs) (laughs) The truth be known. Um, The reason we did it was because we wanted people to realize that science didn't just exist within a classroom or be defined by a curriculum. Science is outside the the, the windows of, of the classroom or outside your front door. And we wanted people to have... Uh, take an interest in things outside. I mean, most young people have inquiring minds and they're interested. And all they really have to do is, is when they see something, is ask, why did it happen or how does it happen? And if you can cultivate that that curiosity that all young people have inherently in them, uh, then you can enable them to, to, to move in a particular area. So... The Young Scientist, I think, gives an opportunity for people who, who wonder why do things happen to explore it and to learn the, the, the methods of doing research, albeit at the school level, and then putting that information together and being able to communicate that information. And communication is a very important part. To be able to communicate what they have learned or what they've discovered to, to, to the judges or to the people who are eating them down in the RDS. So it has. I, I think there's no doubt that many people are, are doing science uh, now because they they took part in in the young scientists or they got the uh, the enthusiasm for asking the question how and why, and then following the interest. And and actually, here the the, the role of parents and and teachers are very important. People say, "How did you get into science?" Uh, gosh, that's so long ago now. I can hardly remember. But I do remember two things. And I it was only some years ago it struck me. When I was growing up i i got a presents from my 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 family, my parents mechano sets I don't know i think they i don't know, they still make mecano sets they, they do. probably do They're sort of, they, they were lego even like made out of metal i got every year I got a mecano set going from set one zero up to ten i think so i began to do things with mecano. and my dad i remember used to give me electrical sets battery powered electrical sets. So I got an interest in electricity and mechanics and building things. And I think that then, when I went into school, I was blessed by having fantastic science teachers, and I was hooked. So my future, if you like, was determined by my parents, the foresight of my parents giving me things to to, uh, uh, ignite my curiosity, and then transferring that into school and having teachers cultivating that and developing me into... Me that need it, I, maybe someday I might
0: become. and that was Niall Kitson talking to Tony Scott co-founder of The Young Scientist Niall still with me of course uh, Niall just before we go this week what's our one more thing one story online that we couldn't uh, squeeze into the show
1: yeah well I'm still pretty knackered after explaining the James Damore situation but if you want something a little lighter to deal with um, HP is putting a, a supercomputer in space so
0: Go read that computers in space that you got to see you get more on that and of course all of the Irish tech news as it happens with hourly updates daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and broadcast every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X until next time from myself Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson thanks for listening have a great weekend get tech radio subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral Tech Radio is produced by Digital Audio dot com.
1: Wow.